Welcome to 100 Stories of Hope, the, the challenge with a slight difference of documenting 100 stories of hope over the bank holiday weekend. We're doing this as part of the Captain Tom 100 Challenge and we're doing it to raise money for Mercy Ships. Now, uh, so, and I'm your host, Anne Buckland. I have the privilege of having with me today um, Kate Middleton from Mind and Soul Foundation. Kate, how are you? I'm really good, thanks, Anne. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for spending your time to join with me in this this exploration of hope. Um, what does hope look like to you? Well, I guess I want to tell a story of hope, which offers a slightly different perspective of hope. And one of my fascinations as a psychologist is like, how can, how can we hold hope as human beings? How can we change our circumstances instead of seeing hope as this sort of it's just about, you know, the roll of the dice, luck of the draw. It's like, how can we make proactive decisions individually, but also together to hold mm-hmm. hope? And I guess a story that comes to mind when I think of hope, when I thought about this, thinking of pre- prepping for this podcast, was about a group of people I had the massive privilege of working with. Um, and it was through some quite personal circumstances. So we're talking like eight years ago now, but it was a group of patients who were treated by a specialist clinic operating out of London and it treats a really rare type of chronic infection which about eight years ago I became a patient of that clinic because out of the blue I I just was unlucky I came down with one of these infections and personally I'd been on this journey of like doctors everywhere who were just saying to me oh there's nothing that can be done because they didn't recognize it's quite an unusual condition and um so they were just saying, oh, get, get used to this new life. And, but I was completely incapacitated. I was really unwell. Um, and so they were just saying, well, this is what life is now. And I was like, blimey, well, that, does, that doesn't sound very good. And so I researched and I was lucky I was able to find, re- find some research papers and then eventually uh, get myself a referral to this clinic. And so the clinic based in London, they, they use a, a groundbreaking sort of new treatment and testing regime to identify this type of infection to eradicate it. Um, so I guess for me in that moment, that was the more usual kind of hope. Although even then, there's, there's something about how we can hold help, hope as people. And, and that is about the journey that life's been on. You know, some people are more vulnerable that life has dealt them some tough blows. They haven't learned that they can change things. They can create hope. Whereas I, in that situation, you know, I'm lucky enough, I've worked in research, I'm a medic by background, I was in a really good position to think, well, actually, I'm not going to accept this hopeless story. And I'm going to push and find some hope. So I, I was really aware in that moment that I was lucky, I was in a privileged position, because life and education and opportunity and circumstance had put me in a position where I could ch- like hunt down hope. A lot <laughs> of people don't have that. And and then what happened, which is actually the story I'm, I'm thinking of, is that I got involved with the patient group because out of the blue, like I think it was like a year, no, about 18 months later, that clinic was suddenly threatened with closure. And it was almost overnight. Oh, wow. It was it was funding challenges, some controversy because they really were treating and diagnosing infections that a lot of people don't even recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, there were all sorts of things, lots of politics because the NHS is a complex thing. And and suddenly the, the patient group were just told the clinic was closing and, and all the people who were in treatment at that time were literally told like, you're going to have to stop. So people who are getting better were suddenly told overnight, we're just going to take away your treatment based. Basically. Right. Um, so that that's a classic despair story. It's like 
your control's been stolen from you, your hope's been stolen from you. It's very victimizing because Mm -hmm. the patient's basically just got a sort of faceless letter, literally, that landed on the doorstep one day that that literally threatened to steal their hope for good life. You know, it was awful. It was like a nameless bureaucracy thing Um, and and really emotionally devastating and, and people were absolutely, de- I mean, absolutely dev- devastated. And there were, there were people who were pushed right to the limits by that moment. But, yeah. and he- here's like the point where the story moves. And this is what I think about, because what what they didn't take account of, the people who made that decision, was how people respond to challenge and adversity. And, and <laughs> there was this defiant hope that rose. And that's how I got drawn in, because you know this is the 21st century and and social media is an amazing thing and literally in the course of a few days via social media the word spread and a few amazing people who who had something in them and maybe it is that previous privilege and experience and confidence and just awareness of your own capability and and the capacity to bring hope and hold hope but but they were like no we're not accepting this and so they started to get word out and within a week, this patient campaign group had formed. And basically, any current or previous patients who had a relevant expertise, we were all linked up. So I got involved because <laughs> I've got a medical background and I'm, I'm also a speaker. So I'm quite articulate. I'm, 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 I have a research background as well. So I'm used to sort of arguing in some fairly intimidating contexts. But we had lawyers, we had researchers, we had media people. It was uh, like, it was amazing. And what happened is that together that group of people just fought. So what was about victims of vulnerability became a story of strength and, and united strength, you know, because between us, when we pulled together, it turned out we carried a lot of hope. And, and there were so many individual stories. It took, oh gosh, I can't even remember. It was like a year, even longer, just of continual fighting. And, you know, we pulled our skills. We wrote research papers. There were people who like worked through the night to, to write research papers. It was incredible. We stood in front of committee after committee, meeting after meeting. We ended up at Parliament, um, like speaking to MPs, challenging the decision at the highest level of the NHS. It was, it was, it was crazy because we were just just normal people. But it turns out when you get normal people together and they hold defiant hope, they're pretty unstoppable. And um, and they did. They the, the clinic still exists. And in fact, more than that, because of all of the publicity, interest in the treatment has grown and research has grown and there's more stuff right. become published. You know, all it took was a few people. It's like a little spark that ignited something much bigger. A few people holding defiant hope saying, actually, what if, what if we refuse to accept this story of despair? What if we want to tell a better story over this situation? And, and they changed it. And, and for, for so many people who were vulnerable, who weren't able to be the ones who were making all the noise and articulating and doing all of that stuff, they saved them. They changed their future. And, and that's what happens when people pull together. We hold hope for ourselves, but also like wider than that. We can bring like light and life to, to, to other people who wouldn't perhaps be able to, to do it for themselves. That's a brilliant story. I love the fact that you managed to bring so much change and through people just, it shows what people can do when they get together. Um, and I love this idea of a defiant hope. We've talked a lot about hope over the last few episodes of 
it kind of being quite active and it being transient in the fact that sometimes you have a hole full of it and sometimes actually you're holding on with your fingernails and it's other people around you that have the hope. But it can be hope can be seen as quite a soft word. And actually this defiant hope where you're standing on something and saying, no, I'm not going to stand for it and together we can change it. I mean, movements are built on that. That's exactly yeah. what people stand up and make a change. Um, that's incredible. And that's really tough to do. You know, I have so much respect for the initial people who started that because despair feels so strong. Darkness can feel so suffocatingly heavy. And, and the first steps of Defiant Hope are often the hardest. But what was amazing about that story was how people supported one another. And it really did sort of go around, you know, one day it would be like person A who was really strong and like, you know, getting everybody else going and keeping them going and saying, come on, people, we can do this. And then like the next week, that same person would just be like, oh, I feel terrible today. I can't, I just, it feels overwhelming. I can't do it anymore. And then it would be like person B would be like, no, come <laughs> on. And and it was like a chain of hope. And and through that chain, we everybody kept everybody going and sustained it, you know, just against, it was repeated at the early stages, what felt like relentless challenge. And it did feel impossible. Um, but like I say, when people gather together, turns out we're pretty unstoppable. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, for obviously with the pandemic at the moment, uh, there will be more people than usual in the position of feeling that kind of despair, hopes through whatever circumstance has been thrown at them. When you were in the first throes of that despair, when you weren't sure how many people were going to gather around, when you didn't know, you didn't know the end bit where there were going to be loads how did you keep yourself going and keep yourself motivated in those early days yeah I mean I wasn't the one who started that so my respect is massive and I learned a lot through it about the people who did I, I I was up for doing my my bit there were some amazing inspirational visionary people who who kicked it off I I think though the trick is to take things one step at a time. So, so often, particularly when we're struggling with despair, or, and, you know, if your mood is low, if, if you're struggling, and in, you know, pandemic, many of us have had days where just getting motivated to do anything feels hard. Yeah. You, you feel so daunted by the mountain. It's just like, I could never climb a mountain right now. It's just, it's not even, I just can't do it. I can't. But what, what about the first step? What about parking your car in the car park at the bottom of the mountain? You could do that. And, yeah. and so just trying to do that and not worry. And, you know, I've dealt with sometimes a big change and challenge in my life. And that's something that I've very much done through pandemic really proactively. Just that the it's it's learning not to think too far ahead and just thinking, well, what's the next step? Can I do that? Yeah, I, I can pop my car in the car park at the bottom of the mountain and we'll worry about getting out of the car and putting my boots on the next day. And, and yeah. the sort of emotional equivalent of that in whatever you're facing is... I, I think that's a really good skill to learn. It's a discipline, I guess, because our brains tend to try and rush ahead and think, oh, my goodness, but what about this? I can't do this. I can't cope with that. And, well, you don't need to today. All you've got to do is, yeah, park your car. That's brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Kate. It's really lovely for you to join me. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks so much, Anne.